This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, October 20th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk, and we had another mild sell off today, a uh, bit of a pullback, and more volatility, uh, more headlines. This morning, Liz Truss lasted 44 days as Prime Minister of the UK, and uh, that certainly sent some shockwaves through markets, some positive, some negative. Uh, We're going to look at that as well as whatever's on your mind. Uh, That's what we're here to do, try to help guide you to making good investment decisions, good money decisions each and every day with your portfolio, with your checking account, your savings account, all of your assets. So I'm Justin Klein. I look forward to this hour of Invest Talk answering your finance and investment questions and giving you my unbiased answers. The phone number, as always, is 888 chart 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I've got a packed podcast for you today. My main focus point is going to be in regards to does continuing volatility signal impending recession? And we're going to look at one of Wall Street's biggest banks and how they are preparing. Now, time permitted, I have some other points of discussion as well. We're going to look at inflows into money markets, talk about the rates that money markets are are achieving these days compared to the past, and how that is crowding out some investment in other areas. Also, you ever see companies go public a second or third time? I can think of a few that they went public, they got bought out, usually private, uh, and then they were one IPO again. Uh, And there's some interesting data on those type of companies. How well do those IPOs work? And then lastly, we're gonna look at options traders. How are options traders positioning for the coming three months? I think that will be, I think, pretty telling uh, going forward and maybe give you a hint on the next, uh, next quarter or so. So those things are on my mind, but ultimately, it's about you. It's about what is on your mind. So I'd love to hear your calls live, 888 chart during our four to five Pacific time live stream broadcast. Or once again, after hours, you can give us a call, leave a message, just like a few voice bank callers did in the recent past. And we're gonna get to a couple. One is on Outfront Media, A-O-U-T, and Procter & Gamble. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and I'm ready to hear your calls. Once again, 888 chart. Let's take a look at the market today. We had a modest down day. The S&P was down about 29 points, a little less than 1%. We Did we stay above the 20-day? Uh, sitting right on it. Let's see, the 20-day... 36.6, yeah, we actually were just below it on the close. So uh, we gave that up 
barely on the S&P. So we'll see if we get some fall through to the downside tomorrow. Uh, 36.10 is kind of my level where get below that. That's when things really start to uh, maybe get dicey again. Uh, but uh, the big news really today was the 10 year. The 10 year was up 10 basis points, 9.9 basis points, call it to 4.226 at the close. And my level has been four and a quarter. Four and a quarter is major, major resistance uh, technically. So I do think we'll slow down here. You're already seeing some MACD divergence as well uh, show up. And the dollar, the dollar was up, but it's not breaking out. So it's just interesting here is yields are breaking out, but the dollar is not. Is that a part of that I think is Liz Trust leaving. And that is giving the, if I go to the FXB, yeah, the pound was up uh, a little bit today uh, on that news, and and obviously the market didn't love what Liz Truss was uh, was thrown at it, and neither did the uh, UK people. So uh, that's what you had there, and that was certainly uh, interesting uh, turn of events. Uh, a funny little tidbit: about a week and a half ago, there was a live stream that was started, and it was a head of lettuce. And it's the live stream was who's going to last longer, Liz Truss or the head of lettuce? And they would dress up the head of lettuce every day with wigs and, and such. And guess what? The lettuce won. So uh, pretty interesting to see that just regular, ordinary people kind of knew the writing was on the wall for her. And uh, the lettuce wore a nice wig today with some uh, British flags. It was it was it was quite uh, it was quite interesting to, to see that. Um, but overall, the market still, I think, is battling that this relatively positive earnings season. Uh, you're seeing more beats. Uh, you're not seeing a ton of companies, you know, crater on earnings announcements outside of Snap. Snap was uh, down pretty big after hours, down 90% this year. So tech companies that are reliant on advertising, not a good place to be. But uh, for more of your bread and butter type of businesses, your energy companies, industrial companies, those haven't been too bad. So that was the market today, a modest down day, but still trying to get off the mat from a very, very oversold condition last week. Now let's get to our first listener question now. Good day, gentlemen. I'm calling in today looking for your insight as to whether I should increase my stake in Outfront Media, O-U-T, or purchase Lamar Advertising Company, L-A-M-R. They're both industry leaders in the billboard and digital billboard field. They have a great dividend, and I'm not sure which one I should invest more money into. So I appreciate any help you can give me. Thank you very much. All right. Looking at Lamar, Lamar's a, a much bigger company, nearly $9 billion market cap. It looks like their debt levels... In relative terms is about the same. Lamar lower yield, but uh, their business remains relatively steady. Uh, earnings expectations for this year up 28%, then up 4% next year. And analysts are actually upgrading their expectations for earnings for this year and next year. Where out front is the opposite. Those are being downgraded uh, by analysts. And that's why you see the pretty big difference in the Pretty big difference in the uh, relative strength. The relative strength of Lamar is 41, not great, uh, but on out front, you're only at 29. So you're 
they're, it's reflecting those earnings revision trends. Uh, if I'm going to go with one or the other, I'm going to go with Lamar. Uh, I think Lamar uh, is larger. It has a broader footprint, more diversified. And in this environment, I think that's uh, probably a good thing. And historically, their return equity, return assets are, are much, much better. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'm definitely picking Lamar Advertising, L-A-M-R. And you think billboards don't work? Huh? A lot of big companies don't, don't think so. They think it does work. And, and that's why Lamar uh, does so well long term. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda during this hour. So I encourage you to call us at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Art from Tucson again. Um, trying to get some bond exposure, some investment grade corporate bond exposure through an ETF, BSCM. It's the one I'm looking at. It's Invesco Bullet Shares 2022 Corporate Bond ETF. It says it has a, uh, a distribution yield of 1.45% and an SEC yield of 2.46%, which seems low compared to, I believe Justin was saying, investment grade corporate bonds are yielding somewhere around 7%. I'd like to know the difference between what a distribution yield and an SEC yield is, and then why would this ETF pay so much lower a yield than I assume you were talking about an individual corporate bond paying 7%? And any other tips you have on bonds? I find bonds a lot more confusing and bond funds a lot more confusing than, than stocks. I just don't have a lot of experience trading in them. So, uh, Really be interested in your input. And thanks for all you do out there for us. Appreciate it. Bye. Okay. So let me start off with the yield part. Uh, and what you're looking at is a 2022 bullet share ETF. So these are only, uh, this is only owning bonds that mature this year. So uh, you're going to get all of the money back, uh, NAV back at the end of this year once all of the, the bonds mature. So this is, at this point, extremely short-term. 
So when I talk about 7%, that's more intermediate term, you know, your four to eight year time, time horizon. And that's where you can get a nice 7% yield. And that's, there's a yield curve. So not all bonds are created equal. Uh, it depends on when they're maturing, what the credit rating is, uh, et cetera. Uh, now, so that's why this is only yielding such a little amount is because of uh, that, that it's very, very short term. Um, now, SEC yield versus uh, 12 month yield, uh, they're just calculated differently. The 12 month yield is using the trailing 12 month interest and in dividend payments divided by last month's ending NAV. Okay, so that's the that's how it's calculated, where the SEC yield is slightly different. Um, it's based on a 30 day period ending on the last day of the previous month. So it's using more a short term 30 day window, uh, which is typically a bit more accurate. Um, because, you know, 12 month yield is including time periods, especially now in the bond market 12 months ago was a vastly different uh, environment that you were operating in. Um, so I would use the SEC yield over uh, the 12 month yield. Um, but also, you have to understand the trajectory of that as well. So sometimes that just because it's paying that now doesn't mean that it's absolutely going to be paying that in the future. Really, you really have to understand the underlying assets within it, just like this one, right? It's a 2022 bullet shares, it's going to be zipped up tight and go away at the end of this year. And you have to know that if you're going to buy it. Okay, because you're going to slowly get cash at the end of the year, and you're not going to know why. Okay, so just wanted to give you a rundown there and, and make sure that you understand where you're getting those 7% yields from. It's not ultra short term corporate bonds. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on cash and about $140 billion has been moving into retail money market funds so far this year. And that puts the total size of the retail money market fund market at 155 trillion and 36 billion of that 140 billion has come in in the last three weeks alone. And obviously this is because investor sentiment is in the dumps, as well as consumer sentiment. And so that's part of it, but also there's a crowding out effect, and that's really what higher interest rates do to other types of assets. Crowding out meaning, hey, there suddenly is an alternative. There wasn't an alternative for a long period of time. Most money markets were yielding 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0.5% for many, many years. But now that yields are higher on government debt, especially on the money market, um, that's, that's up. Uh, the Vanguard money market, the largest in the world, that's uh, two, yielding 2.6%. The Vanguard's is uh, yielding 2.83. The average 100 largest money market funds is averaging 2.7%. And if you and, and what you're seeing here is, it's not just retail, it's actually institutions as well. Uh, Bank of America did a overview of asset managers, and they're holding 6.3% of their portfolio in cash. That's the highest level since 2001. Okay, and so this is, this is an interesting market. And that's one of the big reasons why you're seeing uh, asset prices being weighed down. It's because now there finally is an alternative, but it also shows you how extremely high levels of cash there are on the sidelines if we do get a rally. 
That's an Invest Talk Thursday, and we're watching market gyrations, and we're ready for your questions at 8 at 8 99 chart. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this question. Does continuing volatility signal an impending recession? And this is a conversation with Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon. And this was on their earnings call as well as an appearance on Squawk Box. And... He said, it's time to think more cautiously about your risk box, your risk appetite. Now, what I will say is bank executives are typically behind behind the eight ball. Uh, they usually are reactionary. They're, they, they're not anticipatory. Uh, and I know this just from being in the markets for 20 plus years, but also my cousin is a big investment banker. And it's always interesting. I talk to her regularly every two to three uh, weeks she works for uh, BlackRock, and um, I just get a sense, you know, what's happening, what kind of deals is she is she doing? If she, are they cautious or not cautious? I just get a a good good vibe from her, uh, and just historically they've always been behind the eight ball, but it uh, doesn't mean that they aren't thinking correctly. Now, what he says is, I think you have to ex- accept that there is more volatility on the horizon. Now, I think that's probably true. But I always say volatility goes both ways. And he says the distribution of outcomes, there's a good chance that we have a recession in the United States. And I just, I completely agree with it. Uh, the question always is, how bad is it? And how much has the market priced in? Remember, the market's always looking three, six months ahead. And is there going to be a recession in early 23? Probably. Uh, you saw the three-month 10-year yield curve invert for the first time recently, which is, everyone talks about the 210, that, that's more, that's more uh, indicative of a future recession. Why is that? Is because the three-month is more indicative of the cost of capital for banks. And so when the cost of capital for banks is higher than the cost of, or the price that they're lending out at, uh, they just stop lending. And that kind of creates a self-fulfilling prophecy of a recession. Now, the market has come down and a big part of that is just higher interest rates. Not necessarily that it slows down economic activity, but that the crowding out effect, what I talked about earlier with the money market account and the amount of cash on the sidelines, the amount of cash moving into money markets because they're chasing yield. A lot of people are talking about it, right? Should I invest in a uh, a two-year treasury at 4% versus stocks. It's money moving out of those risk assets because suddenly there is an alternative. Now, speaking on macro issues, uh, Solomon stressed the importance of of caution and obviously tightening financial conditions. We all know that and rising inflation. Uh, And this is on the heels of Jamie Dimon, who warned of also a looming recession. Now, once again, how much of that is priced in? And will a Fed pivot 
create a soft landing. I, th I still think that's possible. And a soft landing could still mean a recession. I think a soft landing is, hey, we don't have a financial crisis. That's what people are, are worried about. They're worried about OE. Everyone looks back at that last recession and they say, oh, well, that's what a recession looks like. No, it is not what a recession looks like. That's what a financial crisis looks like. Very different. And I think we need to know the difference. Now, is should you be cautious somewhat? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you don't look for opportunities because there are always opportunities in every market. Now, frankly, they're actually more abundant than they were a year ago. And it might not seem like that, but they are. Think of all the tech names that are down 80% plus from their high. Are they better investments today than they were a year ago? Absolutely. Are some of those going to go away completely? Go bankrupt? Sure. Are some of those dirt cheap right now? Yes. It's up to you, the investor, to discern which ones. I'll give you a hint. The ones that actually can have a good business model, produce profits, those are the ones that are probably going to uh, pull out of this uh, in the best shape. And their competitors are going to go by the wayside because they're the ones that uh, aren't, aren't making a profit and aren't sustainable. Now let's head over to San Jose and talk to David. And he's looking at HBI. Hi, Justin. Hey. Um, yeah, I've been watching the stock a little bit. It looks like it like, might be a good time to buy. And it looks like it pays a good um, a yield. Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were on it. Uh, I think this think. is the perfect value trap. This is a perfect example of the type of stock that you don't want to own in this environment. And everyone that's looking at this 8% yield is going to get roped in when you're only looking at an 8% yield. Okay. That's not <laughs> the end all be all. In, in fact, when you're dividend investing, the actual yield it's paying you should not be the top priority. It should be the business and the underlying business right now has negative ca free cash flow, negative cash from operations. It is doing terrible. And it has a lot of debt. Net debt of about three and a half billion dollars in a market cap of 2.5. The technicals are horrible. I would stay away from this. Absolutely. I would, it's actually a pretty good short if I didn't have to pay that dividend. So stay away from HBI. Now the next invest talk, the story behind this question. Could the UK financial turmoil spark a wider meltdown? The recent chaos in the UK financial markets has generated waves of stress and selling by investors far beyond the UK. In other words, will the problems over there affect us here? That's tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. 
With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk, and the market has been interesting. So you'll have important finance and investment questions, and Steve and Justin welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Invest Talk. My name is uh, Brian. I'm calling from Ohio. It's, this is my first time calling in. I'd like to get your thoughts on Procter & Gamble. The ticker symbol is PG. I've owned it in my portfolio for a number of years. It's one of my core holdings. And I was wanting to know what you thought was a good value price on Procter & Gamble. It's recently been at its 52-week lows a couple of weeks ago, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good value. Also wanting to know if you could tell me what kind of metrics that you use to figure out a good value price on a stock. Thanks a lot. Bye now. Everyone knows who Procter & Gamble is, and I'll start off with the sector as a whole. Typically in an inflationary environments, consumer staples don't do very well. One is they are partly bond proxies. A lot of them pay good dividends, just like Procter & Gamble. Current yield is about 2.9%. Uh, and when safe yields go up around you, uh, you pull out of these things that now in comparison, 2.9% used to be high compared to 0%. But 
But now the two-year treasury is yielding four, 2.9% is low. So what happens is these type of stocks tend to rate lower. So that's number one. Number two is the input costs are typically go up faster than their ability to raise prices, especially in a challenging consumer environment. What people do is they trade down. They move down from Tide, right? Procter & Gamble makes Tide to maybe the store brand or a cheaper uh, detergent brand. And they're more apt to do that. And so they lose some market share in, in those type of environments. So typically those, this, this isn't a good environment to invest in these type of companies. Now, Procter & Gamble itself, obviously a very good company. Uh, but if you look at its enterprise value, the EBITDA, for example, it typically is cheap when it's around 10. Now it's at 15. So I do think it's a bit overvalued. And it's been coming down, right? It was 19 uh, earlier this year. And now it's at 15. So that 23% decline has helped that overvaluation, uh, drastic overvaluation to become more like a modest overvaluation. Okay. Our, our value is closer to $100 per share. Now it's at 127. So the technicals are poor. The relative tech is only 54. It's below all the major moving averages. Uh, it's bounced with the rest of the market, but it's faded rather quickly. So this isn't that area that I would want to pick it up. I want a discount. Well, let me give you, let me give you a support level. Oh, let's see, 105 would be a support level, but the best one would be around 95. So uh, at least 105, that's the first place I would even think about starting to pick more up. Uh, so that's another 20% 20, 20 down from here. So, and analysts are downgrading their expectations for earnings this year and next year. So we'll see flat earnings this year. Uh, and now it looks like they're, they're edging towards down uh, for this year. So not a name that I'm excited to buy yet. And I think there's a lot of re-rating lower yet to come. So uh, definitely at least 20% more on the downside before I look at Procter & Gamble. Now let's talk about IPOs, initial public offerings, and not necessarily the initial, and that, that's what's interesting here is there's the initial public offering. Well, guess what? Companies can go public multiple times. I think of Dell. Right, Dell is uh, the first one that comes to mind. It was public a long time ago, then it went private, uh, now it's public again. Uh, and so, uh, but there's another one coming on market here in the next week or so, and that is Mobileye. And this is uh, the autonomous driving chip company that was bought by Intel for about 15 billion back in 2017. And uh, they were trying to spin it off with a valuation as high as 50 billion late last year. But because valuations across the board have come down, especially in the chip space, they're going to IPO it kind of around where they bought it out. So kind of a break even uh, looks like Endeavor. Now they're, gonna, they're only selling about 5% of their shares. So the hope is that it will rally as time goes on. Um, but and, and that's actually a pretty good bet if you actually look at second or third time IPOs. Remember, companies can go public multiple times and 71 companies have completed a second IPO after going public since 1975, and four have gone public three times. Uh, and on average, the repeat IPOs, their initial first day trading has been pretty meager. A normal IPO typically pops 
Second or third IPO, 6.6% on average. So that doesn't, that's not as good, right? And it's easy to understand why. Investors have seen this company before. They've seen how it trades. They, they understand it. it's been around a long time. Uh, the hype is kind of worn off of it, uh, especially after going private or, or whatever it did. And then, and then hitting the market again. Whereas initial IPOs, IPOs, initial public offering, they, most people, it's the mystery of it, right? And they, you don't want to miss out on the next big thing. Well, most of these second, third ones, they know it's not the next big thing because it's been around for a while. But what's interesting is on average, they finished the third year of trading with a return of 48%, these second and third year IPOs or third time IPOs compared to the average IPO returns only 24% on average for the first three years. So these are actually much better opportunities and it shows you buying into hype typically doesn't pay. Buying into good companies typically does. Let's go to Sammy in San Francisco looking at Costco. Uh, uh, hi, Justin, thanks for taking my call. Um, just wanted to get your advice on what would be a good entry point for Costco. Ooh, I think you got a while. Uh, it's just starting to roll over and earnings expectations are coming down for this year and next year. Remember, everyone was over consuming. And so I think this is probably going to come back sub 300. That's my number. Uh, once it gets below 300, then I can start talking about it. Let me give you a support level here. Uh, let's see. I mean, 258 would be amazing. I don't know if we'll get there, but actually, yeah, I'm looking at uh, some support levels, 325, 325. That's where there's good. The first good support level will be at 325. Uh, so I wouldn't touch it until then. Uh, and you, where, where are earnings going to normalize? Clearly they're going the, the other way. They're reverting to the mean. And if you, get rid of the COVID environment, whenever it was over earning, they're probably going to go back to something like $11 in earnings. If you use previous earnings projections right now, or previous earnings trends pre-pandemic. Right now, it's $14.50 expected for this year, $16 next year. I almost guarantee they're not making $16 next year. And analysts are already starting to realize that they're downgrading their estimates and still trading at 36 times earnings. So I'm not touching this. I, I got a ways to go before I buy, I even look at this and I don't even start to look at it until 325. Thanks for the call. Now the seasons are changing and summer is in the rear view mirror. Have some colder weather here and volatility continues. And that means you need to update your strategies and your goals, your strategies for those goals. That's ultimately what it is. Now you have to start big picture and then you start to drill down into the details. And that's what we do on the show a lot. You notice I back up. I don't talk about the company first. Typically what I talk about is, you know, is the growth stock or value stock? What industry is it in? Is it cyclical or non-cyclical? What is, what type, how do these companies typically do in an inflationary environment? Right? I'm trying to look big picture to start with. And most investors, they're myopic and just focusing on one 
particular company. And you need to always back up. And you need to also look at that particular investment in the context to the rest of your portfolio. You know, I had a, somebody email me the other day, oh, I have Exxon and I have Chevron. Should I sell it or should I buy more? So I don't know. How much energy exposure do you have? What type of risk are you willing to take? Do you have other oil companies? Are they in the oil service sector? Are they in the pipeline business? Are they in the refining business? There are a lot of parts of the energy space. So how well diversified are you within it? And what is the best part to be in? And then are you an aggressive investor, a moderate investor, a conservative investor? Then you know, that's where you start. And then you smartly trim or add different positions to work towards your goal. And that's what a portfolio is really designed to do. Take the appropriate amount of risk to achieve a particular goal that you might have. And so if you need help understanding, does your strategy fit your goals? Does it fit your risk tolerance level? Are you gonna get emotional when you see market volatility? And that's the downside of the upside. What we typically see is people take too much risk when times are good. And then when times are bad, they sell at the bottom because they get emotional, they get too conservative. And then the market gets better. Everything goes up. And guess what? Their portfolio is too conservative now. And now they're not making as much as the market or as their cousin or as their friend. And now after the market's rallied 30, 40%, what do they do? Oh, they get more aggressive again. That's a bad cycle. Tell most people are. And so that's what we try to do at KPP Financial is try to focus on what is that risk and make it so you're not making rash decisions. So I encourage you to reach out to myself or CPs there, our company, KPP Financial, where we practice unbiased guidance when we practice parallel investing, between you invest right alongside our clients. So you can take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you get your portfolio optimized for your goals. Now, next up, we will tackle another caller question here on InvestTalk. So hang on. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to InvestTalk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free InvestTalk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24-7. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. 
Hi, guys. This is Kent in Texas again. Do y'all use a discounted cash flow model when you're evaluating stocks? And if you do in the discount rate, are y'all taking in this sudden increase in inflation like the 7% right there quoting today? I was just wondering how that would affect the model if y'all do use that. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Well, the answer is yes. And inflation only matters in so much that it feeds into the discount rate. Okay. The discount rate is typically the 10 year treasury rate. Remember what discounted cash flow is you're taking those future cash flows in the out years, call now years, not this year, but the out years, and you're discounting it to today, basically saying, if I took X, how much money would I need today? And I can invest it risk free treasuries, for example, over that time frame, and I'll get that same amount of cash flow that I'm expecting in the out years, in those future years. Okay. So, and then that's one of the reasons why you're seeing valuations come down. Multiples come down. It's because that discount rate is going up. That 10 year treasury rate has gone from sub 1% to over 4% now. And it impacts those tech stocks, those growth stocks far more because most of them, not a lot of cash flow, not a lot of earnings this year, but expectations of three, five, 10, 15 years out that there's going to be some cash flows. And before you discount those each year by 1%, it's still about the same this, this year. Now you do, you discount it at 4% now for 10 years, suddenly, that adds up over 10 years and it's a lot less than it is today. So that's how those, the risk-free rate feeds into about lower valuations today. And so, yes, inflation matters only in so much as it feeds into the discount rate. And in fact, inflation, can actually be positive, right? If you're expecting inflation to rise over time, what are those cash flows in the future expected to be? More, right? Because in general, prices are going up. Okay, so it can be a positive, especially if those expected inflation numbers are gonna be higher than the increase in the discount rate. So discounted cash flows, they're, I don't say they're complex. They're, they're fairly straightforward. But you have to understand what it is and understand the concept. Um, so, yes, it does have an impact. Say that. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So, if you're going to call during our live stream program, you want to do that right now at 888 99Chart. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Go to Bill in Northern California. Wants to talk about Devon Energy. Hey, Justin. Yeah, I was probably last minute caller here. No problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I've owned this since. I've owned this since spring. I bought it around uh, 
some uh, around $54 and, and $62. And I noticed, I was looking at the dividend history of a Vanguard account, and uh, they go, they only go back like a year or two. You go on the NASDAQ site, sometimes they, they show more. But, you know, their, their dividends increased pretty steadily, you know, over this time because of the, you know, gas prices, uh, uh, propane, I guess, and uh, or natural gas. And, um, well, what I... What bothers me is, you know, you invest in a stock like this, you get a good profit in it, runs up a little bit, and, you know, it's going to fluctuate. But then, you know, at what point, uh, how do you know, you know, you just have to watch fuel prices? Because at some point, fuel prices go down, and this isn't a company that's just done steady, slow increases of their dividend. They base it on their profit margin. So I'm like, I don't, if that went down, you know, if they just, you know, that turned around and prices dropped, then they're going to, the price of the stock's going to drop too. So you'll lose your your high dividend yield and you'll lose your, you know, your profit on the stock at the same time. So how how would you monitor that to make that decision on when to sell? Well, the first thing is, it's, it's nothing to do with gas prices. Because this is, an, uh, you're thinking gas, like gas at the pump. This is an oil producer. Um, gas prices are actually high right now because we have low refining capacity. Oil prices, they're in the 80s. They're not, it's not, it's a good, but it's not amazing like it was uh, earlier this year. And, but they're still making good profits, right? Earnings this year expected to be $9.06. Uh, that's up from $1.06 pre-pandemic. So they're, they're crushing it. Now, earnings expectations are coming down a bit uh, for this year and next year. Uh, but still, it's still relatively cheap. Uh, and or a lot of these oil companies are returning capital shareholders versus you know just drilling you know drill baby drill. It's not like that anymore. Um, so they are uh, paying out to shareholders as well as starting to buy back some shares as well. So that's a positive. Um, so what what you want to do here is first off, too many people think in black and white. Too many people think of black and white. It's not sell or hold. It's not sell or buy. It's, what about trimming? Sell part of your position, right? It's been in a range now between 52 and call it 80 bucks since its peak in June. And now we're at 71. So a little bit above the, the mid part of that range. Maybe trim a little bit, okay? Nothing wrong with that. Maybe right size of your portfolio. You're up a lot, so it's probably much higher than a percentage of your portfolio than you started with. So bring it back to your target allocation. Everyone should have a target allocation for every position that they have. So 1%, 2%, 5%, 10%, probably shouldn't be over 10, probably should be over five, but you should have a target allocation. And when you think everything's rosy, that's usually the time you wanna trim it, okay? And then have an out. Could be a trailing stop, could be previous low could be a moving average and selling is the hardest part it really is buying stocks that's easy especially if you're buying stocks and uptrends a major support etc you can probably do good in the short term but what if the economic backdrop changes what if oil prices change in this in this case all those things you have to kind of monitor and most people don't want to sell when they're up big. 
And most people think, once again, in black and white terms. There's nothing wrong with trimming, taking a bit of profits off the table, especially in a sector that is as volatile as oil. Okay. So I hope that helped you understand how to think about your positioning, position sizing. And you have to understand the volatility that that type of company typically has on both sides. Now, long-term, I like oil patch. I would want to own Devin longer term. So it's not something I would be anxious to sell a lot of, but trimming it is never a bad idea. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime for free at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Our downloads have now exceeded 46.3 million. And thanks to you. So we really want to thank you for all of our success. It couldn't be possible without you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.